Working with a fantasy baseball partner. Hey, I highly recommend it. Fantasy Alarm and Sirius XM's Rick Wolf joins us on the show to talk about what makes his fantasy partnership so successful. Plus, our analysis of the middle infield player pool. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing marvelous. The Trevor Bauer sweepstakes appears to almost come to an end by the time you have will be listening to this. He might be a New York Met. Any uh, thoughts about uh, having Bauer join our boys, Ruben? It's very interesting that he may have the highest average annual salary per year, yet not start opening day, which is going to be very odd. That's right. DeGrum would still be the ace and would get the number one nod on the Mets. Uh, that would be great. Look, the Mets would have, uh, again, a pair of Cy Young Award winners at the top of their rotation. You know, last year the Mets, pretty their offense was fantastic, and their downfall was their starting pitching, which we originally thought might have been a uh, positive. So that'll be good to know that you have him. you got Stroman, Carrasco, Syndergaard, pretty much four out of the five pitchers who didn't pitch for the Mets last year. Pretty good, right? Yeah, it is pretty good, but they still have to contend with the Braves. That's true. And the rest of the NL East. Well, anyways, today we've got a great guest on here, uh, one of the pioneers of the fantasy industry. Um, he is a half of the duo of Colton and the Wolfman from Fantasy Alarm. Welcome to the show, Rick Wolf. How are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on tonight. Looking forward to having some fun. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And we'll, we jump right into it on, on our show with our strategy section today. We're going to talk about fantasy baseball partners in the industry. Um, Rick, you and Glenn, Glenn Colton, your partner there, uh, you do quite a few um, expert industry leagues, and you're known for that in the industry, and you do it quite well, winning several different labor titles and tout titles and whatnot. Um, so uh, we want to pick your brain on how that works, why that works. As you may know, uh, Ruven and I do a number of uh, leagues together, um, and we've been pretty successful. So maybe we can all share with everyone um, the successes and maybe even some of the failures of what couldn't go wrong, what could go right, and could go wrong with partners. So uh, first of all, just a little bit of history. How did you t- decide to partner up with Glenn, and uh, what do you think gives? a duo an advantage over others all right so glenn and i didn't pick each other to partner with we were thrust together um we were college dorm mates uh and actually we were trying to be the resident assistant of the same dorm and what happened was one of us ended up being on the floor and the other one being the ra uh in this case i was the ra and and glenn stayed on the floor and we acted as co-ras if you will um, because at that time, you know, in the, in the 80s, it was about throwing parties. Uh, it was not about enforcing rules. I was literally the social director for the for Binghamton College at the time. And uh, so it was pretty easy for me to figure out how to throw parties. And, and Glenn was one of the few people on campus who had a car. And uh, so he made, uh, he made it easy for us to be able to get places to pick up kegs and do the important things. Um, and so Glenn and I were party pals. We, uh, we, we set up the parties and, and we ran them for our dorm and, uh, and, you know, Glenn was a straight A student and I was, let's say not a straight A student. Um, 
you know, I, I'm a solid C student. I would be a great president of the United States. So um, we were, uh, we, you know, we were thrust together to, as dorm mates um, and we played poker every Friday night and we talked baseball constantly and we stayed in touch afterwards when he went to law school and I went on to, uh, to IBM and then of course to Sportsline, which became CBSSports.com. So in 98, I, uh, I decided that I wanted to be in the experts leagues, even though I was only, I had been playing rotisserie baseball for 10 years, but I wasn't good. Uh, honestly, I really was not good at all. So we bought a sponsorship, CBS sports, uh, sports line, bought sponsorship of John Hunt's column and anything that had John Hunt on it or in it. So guess what? The labor leagues had John Hunt running them. So as part of the sponsorship, they were required to put somebody from CBS sports into the league. So I did not earn my way into labor. I bought my way into labor. Um, so we had $150,000 sponsorship, which included that. We live broadcasted across AOL Live, which actually got the first exposure for for the Labor League in 1998. And, uh, you know, I drafted with somebody there. I finished it dead last in 1998. So I said, well, this is embarrassing. I can't do this anymore. I started reading everything I possibly could. I had been reading Chandler's books since the beginning of time, since, 80, since they first came out in 86. But I started reading everybody else and started trying to figure it out. And I started studying to try and figure it out. So in 99, I finished third, and in 2000, I finished second, and in 2001, I finished third, and Glenn and I were ha having drinks over the holidays, um, you know, and I was like, I'm coming up, you know, to go to, la to, to labor again, you know, what do I have to do? He goes, you got to add me. That's why you're not winning. So uh, added Glenn before the 2002 season, and then we won back-to-back -back labor AL titles in 2002 and 2003. So that's... It, it's all happened sort of by by almost accident. Um, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, I'm not Patton or Chandler or, or Zola at the time. And, you know, but CBS wants to bring the labor and USA Today and wants to have fantasy be more popular. So we spend a lot of money marketing uh, against it. Um, and one of those ways is is buying an entry into the into the labor league. Oh wow, that's a great story there. Um, unbelievable. I think I qualify now, but I did not qualify in '98. Right. I did not deserve to be there. All right. Well, uh, certainly you, you deserve <laughs> to be there now with all your accolades and uh, and and all the titles here. So you know, as far as as the partnership itself, you know, how, how does how does uh, uh, Rick Wolf become Colton the Wolfman and and succeeded? What 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 does does the partnership? What what does the the complement of the two of you bring that just one doesn't well i'm not sure whether you knew, know this or not but glenn was the federal prosecutor at the time he was uh, in the southern district of new york he was basically you know um the characters you see on billions right uh you know your uh your brian or uh, you know the, the the characters who report to chuck Rhodes, okay reporting to first janet reno and then of course to james comey um so just an uh you know he's 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 a federal prosecutor. He's got all these rules, all all this stuff going on, and so he says, "Well, how are we going to do this?" And I'm like, "Well, you're the rules guy. Figure it out." So he basically we put a framework together for ideas and concepts that we had, and how we would use those in order to win. And the, at the time, Ron Chandler had his Alima system. And uh, so we were, and other other people had their acronyms, and we're like, we, we need an acronym for it, right? So um, Glenn said, well, you know, we should call it SMART. And, and I think he was kind of like serious because we're going to make a SMART system. But I thought it was a really, really funny joke, right? 
um, you know, the dumb guy who finished last in his first labor <laughs> brings somebody on and then they create the smart system. I mean, it's just kind of funny. So we created a, a, a set of rules that we live by and we plugged them. We then backfilled them into the acronym after that. So, and of course, I don't know whether you guys know what those components are, but uh, you know, the, the, the smart system stands for um, scarcity, management, anchors, relievers, and team. So, and then, you know, our rules fit into that. And then over the years since then, we've created a set of rules of engagement, which are things that we've kind of figured out. The one that we just added um, this year is that players who hit their 25th year season, that's when the home runs come. So when you're when you're 24 and you've hit 22 or 23 home runs in that year, you're going to hit 35 the next year. And we've watched that and we did some analysis on that to make sure that those are the trends. And if you take a look back at the last three years, you'll see that those those players who when they hit 25, those are the guys who are top 10 last year, the year before that and the year before that. You'll see three to four guys who had their 25th year season who just popped into the top 10 for the first time. So, um, you know, we we add a corollaries all the time. And uh, and, you know, we've been honing the system on how we how we can because he has a, a heavy day job and I'm running the business side and the technology side of most companies. I'm not an analyst, not like you guys. Um, we have to have a system that can allow us to cut down the number of players that we have to study. So that's why the smart system came into into being. Very interesting. Well, let's go to Ruvain here. Um, you know, you've worked with me for, you know, a large number of years as well. I can't say as long as uh, as Rick has. Uh, but, uh, you know, what what do you think are the highlights of, of why we work as a partnership and how the two of us are better than any one individually? Well, first of all, you have a second set of eyes and ears paying attention to everything. What you may see in a room when there's a draft going on, I may not see and vice versa. So we're able to see twice of what's going on. Plus, we love, you're the math guy. You are definitely the math guy way above. A lot of the stuff you say is way above my head. I'm more the injury guy. So we have the yin and the yang. We're, we're, working to, we're working together, but we're also setting it up so that we're able to meld as one. Basically, we, we agree on the most part for most players, but there are some players we don't agree upon. And when we do that, that's when we do our own personal deep dives for each players, and that's when we work on it. Um, also, we've been together for so long, we don't get... We don't get offended by each other's well if we say something negative about each other so we get along real i mean we've known each other since high school um you were in my brother's high school class um and i've known you since then and we've been doing leagues for about 15 almost almost 15 years and we know how we, each other operates you're the computer guy i'm the paper and pencil guy we we just get together and we were able to work together and just figure it we just at, at the end of the day we just figure it out i mean there's, there's no other way of just saying it just the way there's there's a thing you know if you have a good partner if it just works if there there are partnerships that just don't work but you have to know one that when it does work and ours does work right so rick what are some of the disadvantages of having a partner and how might you overcome them so i want to go i want to go back to what uh what what uh your partner just Please. said um because it basically defines colton and the wolfman pretty much exactly uh-huh. uh now i'm i'm not I mean, I have a BS mathematics and BS computer science, but I'm not. I don't run algorithms. Same here, by and, the way. Same here. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I I don't I don't run algorithms or anything like that, but I do manage all the spreadsheets. I do dive into the numbers a little bit more than Glenn does, and Glenn's a soft data guy. Um, I also watch a lot. I think I watch. I'm pretty sure I watch a lot more games than he does because I watch pretty much a late game almost every night. 
So, um, you know, and I watch a lot of the Met games like I'm sure you guys do. But he watches every Yankee game, but that's pretty much it. So, um, so he's a soft data guy, and I'm kind of the numbers guy. I wouldn't call it math guy, because I'm not I'm not doing what you do. I mean, you do you're you're doing quantum physics on figuring things out. I'm just kind of looking for trends. Um, and then you know we put those two things together, and that's how that's how it works. Like I'll say, oh, you know, I really like so and so this year, and he'll go, uh, two off season surgeries. I'm like, damn, I didn't know that. You know, um, so he does complete that uh, similar to it seems like what your partnership. Is. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that exact kind of phrase happens all the time. Ruvain's the, you know, the, what I think what makes us work together is that Ruvain and I have very different qualities and very different advantages to what we do. He's thinking of the injury side. You know, if I'm if we're thinking of how many at bats are a guy is, is a guy going to get is the ATC projection that we see too high or too low. He's always thinking about the injury side, the lineup side, and I'm thinking of the mathematical side of, uh, you know, the trend and this. And because we have different insights, we both can come out from different viewpoints, and that adds to the total. And of course, if we, if any of us have a stronger opinion, we're good enough partners that we can let. Or whatever our pre-assessments of things override. If Ruvin has a strong opinion about something, I'll slow down on my approach and I'll take over his more. Um, we, we, I rarely find instances where I'm just so opposed to Ruvin on a player that we can't find common ground. We can some, we can always find something. You know, maybe I'll go up a little bit. He'll go down on value. Uh, I'll say let's take him in a draft. Let's, let's take him in an auction. That kind of thing. Uh, but there's always a way that we can compromise. But but it comes from the different viewpoints, and I think that's really what it is. It's the ability to communicate, but the ability to see different points is, is what uh, what I think. Yeah, and so so let me ask you a quick question about that. Um, so is Ruvain better at pitchers, and you're better at hitters? I don't know. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, I think we're we're both good at each. Sometimes, some seasons we feel we're better at pitchers. Like like ten, like five years ago, I think we were we nailed the pitchers. We were very good at pitchers. But the whole market has changed. So I don't know if we can say that we're good at pitchers anymore, just because the way the market's changed. Um, it's not that we're one person is better than the other one in another area. I think we just. You know, we have a little of each. I'm the person that every every morning when I was younger, I got the newspaper, I looked at the box scores, I was following the numbers, I was getting the baseball cards, looking at the back of the baseball cards, but I also had a math tutor in high school. So I wasn't the math guy, but I knew the numbers. I was an encyclopedia. I, knew, I can tell you when, when I was in 11th grade, I was able to tell you every player on the Angels, and I live in New York, and, that's, and in 11th grade back then, that's not normal. That's not, that's not what not a normal 11th grader would do. So I have that. He has, Ariel Moore has the math stuff when it comes to trends and, and finding the trends for certain pitchers or hitters. That, that's what he's better at. Yeah, I mean, like this year, uh, we've come up with uh, uh, the ATC projections have interprojection volatility, which uh, you'll see on Fangraphs uh, shortly with a nice research article on why you might be interested in that. But you know, I'll come up with this kind of uh, with this kind of thing. Just the ATC process of of how to weight things and regressions. Uh, you know, that's that that's my deal with the math side. But of course, you know, I'll listen to Ruvain about a specific player just because the ATC projections say something. Um, we may not agree with it, and you know, we'll we'll do some not battling we'll do some discussion of and we go through every single player and and we talk about uh um is the atc projection high low do we agree do we not have a strong opinion take the atc projections word for word uh so it's just about working with each other um let, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh splitting up tasks 
So um, I always talk about during an auction with me and Ruvain, we each have very specific tasks that were at hand. Ruvain keeps track of the closers. Ruvain is the one who suggests to me who should I, who, who should I nominate. He's looking at players that we think are economically going to be sound to uh, nominate first. And we'll talk a little bit about this later in, in one of our episodes in terms of auction nominations, but it's important what order uh, players come up in, and Ruvain keeps track of that. I'm keeping track of the statistical balance. I'm keeping track of what players would balance our categories more, which have lower variance, and who uh, and, and how the prices dynamically select, all the math things. Um, in, in, in an auction live, I'm the one doing the bidding. I'm the one saying it out loud. When we do it on a computer, Ruvain's the one doing the bidding. So we each have very specific tasks, and we, we don't have to talk about it beforehand. We know each other what to do. Do you have that with, with Glenn, and, and what would those be? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty similar process. So, you know, what we do is we do our own our own studying in, uh, you know, separately, um, you know, and he writes copious notes by hand, um, you know, and I I plug things into 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 the computer in different ways. Um, and then we get together before we do our first draft of the season and we go over every player. Uh, we go ev every every relevant player we go over completely. Um, but remember our smart system makes makes us have to discount many of them. So when we're going to be discounting somebody because of one of the smart system rules, and we set a dot, we, we set a dollar value on every single player for uh, AL only and for mixed. Um, when we're setting those dollar values, when we're deciding what they what they are, um, you know, the rules of engagement allow us to to not talk a lot about players we're discounting. We discount them, we give them a discounted number, and we move along because we know we're not getting right, them. right. So right, right. it allows us to spend less time on players that we're not going to get, and then come out with a targeted pool that's about thirty-five to forty percent of the overall player pool. So we will have much less players to have that we're going to be involved in, depending on each draft, right? Then when we get together before each draft, depending on the strategy or the people that we're playing against or the types of rules that exist within that particular league, we'll adjust that. Um, but generally, it, it only it only means adding 10 players in or taking 10 players out um, from the pool that we've we've created. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we, we do a similar thing in that, you know, on this show, we don't talk about everybody, every shortstop. We just look at the players that ATC sees as a potential bargain. If ATC is looking at so far below the market value, we don't have to discuss it. There's no point. We're never going to buy that player, right? You want to use your time wisely. And we'll talk a little bit about time management a little bit later in the show. Um, Ruvain, uh, anything to add in, in terms of the tasks we uh, split up uh, to that discussion? Um, well, we actually do categories. Like, like I'll look at the you'll, – you'll tell me it's time to look at the closer list. And I go through the closer list, who, which – Closers, I think we should target. Um, I'll go over the injury stuff. I'll also do some of the prospect stuff. You're more the guy looking for trends in the market, looking to see, you know, who's having a good spring training, that type of thing. And we just put it together and, and we go over, just like you do, um, we go over every single player. We go every single player, see, looking, going through the ATC uh, projections and seeing what looks right, what doesn't look right, why doesn't look right, and then we jump into each one and we see whether or not they're a bargain. And by the by the time the, the draft, 
season starts, we should know every single player who is eligible. And we don't we don't keep to that just like you said, 35%. We look at everybody. There's not there's a chance that we can own every single player. There's some players are higher on than others, but there we don't go into a thing saying we have to have this guy or we have to have uh, you know this guy. We have a group of players, we say this is the pool, but we can we're still willing to go out of that and and to break the cover level because we'll have different we'll have different plans set up for the draft like we'll, we'll say if we get this guy at a good price oh you know what let's you know we'll, we'll we'll go into this direction to change the team so we have to have different types of plans going into each draft okay and that's something we've changed just pretty recently um we changed back in 2014 i think or 15 um and we've 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 been winning more championships because of it is we are now specifically figuring out who the exact targets of the players that we absolutely think that have the most upside. And it's all about upside. Um, you know, you, you need to have some players you're going to bank stats for, but bank them, bank them at either a bargain or at their regular price. But for guys that we think are going, it's their breakout year. And, and again, that 25 year old thing has really hit. And Glenn is very good at figuring out which pitchers um, are going to pop. We just go get them now. And if it costs us $5 extra, $8, $10 extra, we don't care. We just go get the guys we know uh, or that from our, our our experience are the guys who are going to explode and we just go get them. And that, that just happened in the last five or six years that we started doing that instead of being slaves to, oh, did we get a bargain on that guy or did we get a bargain on that guy? No, we're going to go get that guy because he fits into the strategy that we built for this particular competition. Very interesting because we're we don't do that. We're more uh, we're not tied 100 percent to the values, but we're much more towards that. You know, we're very aware of what our figures say, and we aren't willing to spend five six dollars over just because we like somebody. Um, I, I don't like anybody. I I like pairs of players that I think we need X or Y or Z to fit our uh, risk component makeup. That kind of thing. It's a it's a risk management thing. I don't fall in love with any players. Now, Ruvain touched on what we split up in terms of the preseason, and I touched on what we split up in terms of the actual draft, but uh, also during the season, we have tasks as well. So some people with FAB, um, some partners, it's one or the other, or they rotate. Like, I'll do it this week, you do it this week. Ruvain and I discuss FAB every single week. You know, we go over exactly the FAB list we want to do. Ruvain keeps up a little bit more on the news. I'll keep a little bit more up on the numbers, the trends, who's hot, and, you know, K-SBB, that kind of thing. Uh, do you guys have any tasks that you split up in the middle of the season? Yeah, well, I mean, in you know during the draft we split we certainly split things up um you know he does all the bidding always why would you have a federal prosecutor who's a litigator who knows how to think on his feet fast and not use that strength sure and then Makes i sense. figure out what strategies are going on because i i really feel like that's a real strength of mine like uh you know if i can see like for instance um we i believe that we won in, we won tout the first time for the first al tout because i recognize it's an obp league i recognized that two teams were dumping obp obp so we just forced when one of them was out on those players to go another dollar and we squeezed dollars out of them until, you know, and we made sure we OBP protected and then we won OBP easily and then, you know, dominated the offensive categories in order to be able to win. But that's something in draft we literally noticed and changed our strategy completely. So, um, you know, I, I like to do that part. Glenn does all the bidding. He figures out all that stuff. He does a lot of the end game. Like we'll have 20 dollar pitchers and he'll decide which order they come out in and i just don't keep score on that like i'll be like i like a guy better he'll usually go he'll usually point to two with his fingers this one or this one and i'll go that one you know but 
you know, he's not, I, I'm not picking from the whole list. He's usually at the end, in the end game, he's much better at the pitchers. So I just, I just don't keep score about that and say, great. In, in season, we, we have, uh, you're either going to love this or hate this because it's hilarious. <laughs> um, we compete for who's going to go first. <laughs> and huh? whoever, whoever's day job frees up early enough for them to go get it before on a, or on the weekend because we both work weekends pretty much we go do the first run at it and then you start we send them one at a time we'll send one email for each league and we we have usually between eight and eleven leagues in baseball and in football and so once you start it's like oh crap i'm gonna go to the other end of the list and start <laughs> and so because i don't want to be left out but every, you know every once in a while glenn will glenn will send all the first shots or i will send all the first shots um because just our day frees up but, you know, after the first shot, there's you know, then I have a list to look at. I have, know what he likes. I go look at it myself. I change the list. I send it back to him. And usually, usually every league is three to four revisions. And if it gets to a fourth one, it's usually let's talk live. Right. Um, and then we, you know, we talk live about whichever ones we couldn't figure out in email. We figure out a meet mail. Whoever writes the last one puts in the transactions. Wow. So it's very competitive, like and intentionally competitive because that makes it fun. Right. And part of our part of our friendship is how competitive we are. Um, I'll try to stick it to him on the air. I don't know if you noticed if you notice our <laughs> I stick it to him intentionally about things that he makes mistakes about because I know how perfect he likes to be. And he sticks it to me, you know, whenever I make a joke that's not funny. So because he knows I'm trying to be funny. So we're we're just constantly sticking to each other in this in the same way doing our transaction. It just makes everything more fun. Everything we do is actually more fun. Like when we're at the draft, you know, when when he's got a player that I like and he looks over to me and I give him a hand signal to go up another one, he'll he'll look at me like really, and then he'll go up one, you know. So interesting, um, interesting. Uh, it, we're just it, having fun. And it's funny because I I find that I don't do that with Ruvain. I find that uh, I don't have a competitive nature against him or so. Uh, that you know we're just doing it together. And and maybe it's also because, uh, well, you know, it's interesting for me to hear that your on-air personality matches what you do offline. Uh, I would think maybe you know because you're on uh, on the radio that you might want to you know show that kind of personality. And maybe it isn't what you would do in person. But that th- that's interesting to hear. Um, I don't find that I have that with you, Ruvain. Do you, do you agree? But there there are sometimes when you pick a player and you bid on somebody and I said, no, don't do that. We don't want this guy. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, and you know what? We, we make up for it because because yeah. you're not picking a guy that we don't want most of the time. Right. Sometimes you put on a bid that we end up, we get stuck with someone, but that really rarely happens. But there is one thing that I always preach at every single draft. What do we need more of? We need more power. You seem to always like to get the guys that have the stolen bases. I always keep saying, remember, don't forget the power. We need the power. I remember a couple of years ago, we wanted Reese Hoskins. I said, we have to have him. We have to have him. We have to have yeah. him. We ended up losing him, but we got two other small power guys, so it made up for it. But still, that there's some certain mantras that we that we say to each other say every day, every draft. We say the exact same things, and we're used to it already. Yep, that's true. That's true. One thing I find, though, Rick, that uh, when you have a partner, trading is a little bit tougher because uh, if a trade comes in to me and Ruvain, um, I want us both to like the trade. Uh, it, it there might be some trades that I would do on my own, and there might be some trades that Ruvain would do on my on his own. But uh, for me, it's a veto scenario. If either one of us doesn't like the trade, we don't do it. So I think trading becomes a little bit harder, or there sh- there'll be less a frequent number of trades. It, does that make sense to you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, and the way trades generally work for us, because Glenn, Glenn is not much for for um, trading, and he's also pretty tight on like you know what he thinks we should and shouldn't accept, right? So generally, when we're looking for something, and I, I'll give you I, here's a good example. We were um, we were we were pretty far behind in uh, in pitching, and we were winning in all the auto, uh, the offensive categories in uh, in uh, labor NL, and we were in 2015, I think, and um, we needed to really make a jump. So I went to Glenn and, and, and I did some math and showed him that the math would work. And we, we did have a chance to make up like like 13 or 14 points uh, overall by dumping a whole bunch of power and turning it into, you know, Clayton Kershaw. And, and, and I forget who the other big stud pitcher was. But we, you know, we'd have to trade all of our significant power to do it. So he says, all right, well, go tell me what you mean. And so I put together a bunch of trades that I thought were good and he sent them over. And then we did the math to make sure it would work out. And then we went to the, the guys and, 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 you know, offered the trades and, you know, they didn't accept them at first. And then we added more and we maneuvered around till we got them. And those trades ended up with us in the last week, actually chasing, uh, you know, a chance to win. And we lost by two stolen bases from Jake Lamb in the last weekend to Lenny Melnick. Oh man. So, um, yeah, just a weird, a guy who doesn't run stole, stole two bases. Speedster um, Jake Lamb. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The lamb beat the wolf. There you go. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but that's, that's, that's how it works for us. I basically do kind of all of the Glenn says, Hey, we got to trade cause we need this. And then I go figure out the, what I give it back to him. He goes, nah, you know, and he right. kind of maneuvers it around a little bit and then we make the offers. Right. Very interesting. I want to talk a and little he bit. Always gets, he always gets something else at the end. Like he goes, you know what? He's got he's got this guy on, you know, and he won't be able to bring him back up because, you know, he has to he has to bring he has to activate him this week and he's got an extra roster spot, so why don't we take whoever he's dropping? And then we end up with the player who's 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 useful to us. Very sneaky. So he always he always finds that last little thing which I don't look for. When I'm making a trade, I'm like, all right, let's get let's get it done, you know. Um but that that those little things help, you know, that extra right. save, that extra two steals. You know, those things those things win us championships where, you know, I'm not squeezing out the last player. And the and, and the, the opponent doesn't mind because they were dropping him anyway. Right, right. You're you're basically determining whether the trade is, is good and he's trying to get the best trade by just throwing, you know, give me the extra couple of dimes and nickels and, and just because I want them, you know. Um, that, that's great. Uh, I want to talk a bit about time management. Um, you know, there's a lot that you can study up on. You can talk about players. You can talk about learning prospects, valuation. You can study your uh, other opponents. That's something that I do. You can play mock drafts. Um, preseason, what do you think uh, is is something that uh, the common fantasy player who's listening to this show um, might benefit to do a little bit more of that they wouldn't think of and maybe something that they might not need to do enough that they can maybe prioritize something else with their time? Well, first of all, I, I may play for, you know, we, we've been lucky enough to win championships, but I play for fun, right? So when I find a storyline or something that's interesting or a player that I think might jump for a reason, you know, those are, I kind of, I kind of want to have those players because it's fun, right? Um, so I don't, I think for most people, you shouldn't take the fun out of it. And then also, you know, find a system that works for you. It doesn't have to be the smart system. It can be whatever system you want, but something that allows you to not have to analyze every single player. Because 
if you analyze in detail every single player, it I think it clouds up, clouds your head. If you have a distinct set of players, these are the 30 players, you know, that I'm going to have. We literally, when we go to an a, a, a labor AL or a labor NL draft, before it, I write in the team sheet and I write all the players in that we're going to have. And I usually get between 10 and 12 out of the 23 because um, we know we're dedicated to these players and we know they're on our list and we know they we, they have the most upside. We know they're the right age. They know they fit into all the smart system. So I would say make up your, your rules, whatever they are, and um, – you know, and stick with them. And, and, you know, in, in, if you're playing with a partner, don't ever leave your wingman, you know, keep right. to those rules. If Glenn is about to break one of those rules, like every time we lose, it's always because we break one of these rules, right? Accidentally. I say, I say, yeah, go for him. And then we go, Oh my God, we just filled the second closer, you right. know, um, when we break the rules, that's when we lose. So keeping your partner honest with those, with the rules that you create, is uh is the biggest lesson for folks i mean you guys have a set of rules you just don't know what they are if you or if you do you know you should write them down and give them a dumb acronym (laughs) well maybe d-u-m-b to make fun of us (laughs) (laughs) that's smart smart. (laughs) that is a smart way to think about it Uh, or or smarter just call it the smarter system we we do have the (laughs) atc projection system which uh fantasy pros ranked as the number one projection system in fantasy baseball and Fantasy yeah, but pros. that acronym is your initials, man. It, no, it's the average total cost <laughs> projection system. So uh, there you go. Uh, we tried to we tried to think of a better name, but that's what came out. Yeah, you know, we're, uh, we're, not, we're not creative. That's all. Yeah, a lot of people in high school call me ATC, so uh, I figured let's just continue that. And uh, there we go. And hey, you know, uh, I'm lucky enough that a lot of people do use it, and uh, you should because it's a it's a great base for anybody who's just starting. Why, why not start with the average of all projections? Uh, the smart ah, it's the smart average of all projections. There you go. I got smart right in there. <laughs> Um, well played, Mauer. Well played. Thank you very much. Uh, so today is our middle infield uh, podcast, and in our ATC player discussion, as I said earlier, we don't talk about every single middle infielder. We highlight a couple of middle infielders that ATC brings up currently as a potential mark. Uh, bargain according to values versus what the market might perceive we may agree with it we may not agree with it but we're here to talk a little bit about the players first of all before we talk about any players rick i want to get your take on on the player pool in general um there's two things i've noticed about middle infield number one is that it seems to be a little bit more expensive than what my values calculated with my auction prices tend to be. And two, I've also noticed that stolen bases uh, are sometimes a good a good place to find stolen bases are the middle infield. You're really not going to get anything other than middle infield or outfield, so you need to count on some stolen base players there. Do you agree with those two uh, assumptions, assertions, I should say, of the player pool for the middle infield? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it, right? So um, generally, first baseman and third baseman and catchers don't run a lot. So you're going to have to get it from the middle infield or the outfield. So, um, you know, if you and, – and generally what we do is we have we have targets for how we're going to fill scarce positions. And now in this case, I don't think shortstop is scarce. I think shortstop is pretty deep. Um, yeah, very deep. Very, uh, but, actually. Yeah, yeah, very deep. But uh, – but, Set, you know, second base, maybe not as deep, but but still, I think, you know, pretty deep. So you don't need to get 
uh, stolen bases from the middle infield if you get them someplace else. But if you don't, you better get the guys who hit for power. And one of the things in the smart system is is get your you know get your stolen bases across the board. So, you know, better to get a guy who's who's uh, you know 20, 25 home runs and fifteen steals than a guy who's forty home runs and zero steals. So try and get the guys try and get you know steals across the board um, because especially for those last dollar players or two dollar players, you can almost always find a guy who's going to hit fifteen to twenty home runs or fifteen to twenty five home runs now um, and uh, for real cheap. So you know, make sure that make sure you get your stolen bases across the bar, board. But I don't think you need to get them here. I think nine times out of ten, nine drafts out of ten, you're gonna get them in the middle infield. But I don't think you need to. Okay, so you're not intentionally looking, and you won't be buying at Alberto Mondesi apparently. Uh, Ruvain, your your thoughts on on the the story here? I think we need to go for steals here in the, in the middle infield. This is exactly where you should be spending your money. I think you even should pay a little bit more than what the premium is just because these are where your main stolen base guys are. But you mentioned the power. You can get the counting stats here. 15 players who played 60 games last year were in the middle infield. That include Machado, Swanson, Didi, Lindor, Merrifield. And five out of 15 of those players pl uh, played actually 59 games. So there's, there's so many players playing so many games from middle infield that you can just get so many counting stats from the middle infield. It just so happens that the faster guys are there. Um, the corner infield is you're not going to get much steals from the corner infield. The corner infield, you're not going to get much. The outfield, of course, you're going to get some here and there as well. The catchers don't really steal much unless you have JT Realmuto who throw in like eight or nine, but that's it. Um, but the middle infield is where you get the stolen bases. And I think you have to have at least one middle infielder that steals 20 plus bases. That's my opinion. Interesting there. Um, let's talk about some of these middle infielders. Uh, the first one that comes up to me is somebody that I think is pretty undervalued. His name is Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts, uh, year after year, contributes value. I'm going to read you some of his prior auction, his prior final rotisserie values in a 15-team 5x5 format, 22, 24, 12, 22, 31, 25. That is amazingly consistent, and consistency matters when you're picking somebody in the first three rounds. He's going in the middle of the third round. He's somebody that is a five-category contributor from a Z-score perspective, so we're talking standard deviations above the average player pool. He's at least three uh, he's at least two-thirds of a standard deviation above. And other than stolen bases, he's pretty much almost a point, almost one standard deviation above. He's extremely well-rounded. That's something you want out of your first couple of rounds. His batting average uh, is going to be fantastically high. He's got an 18% strikeout rate, which means that he's not going to drop. His lowest batting average in the last couple of years has been 273. He's a lifetime almost 290 hitter. The last couple of years, he's picked up the power. He's now hitting more homers per fly balls. This is somebody that I would take over the likes of Francisco Lindor. I'm very high on Sander Bogarts this year, um, and so I agree with the ATC projections. Rick, your thoughts on, on Bogarts? Yeah, and so, well, a couple of interesting things there. Well, the most important thing that um, Bogarts gives you that a lot of middle infielders don't is he's going to give you the counting numbers. You know, he's going to – he could have 100-100. Uh, you know, probably have 95, 100, uh, you know, with the 100 RBIs, 30 home runs or so, um, 300 batting average. So he protects you all the way around the place, but he doesn't have the upside and you're going to have to pay, you know, a premium price for him. You're going to pay 30 bucks for him. So the question is, is it better or is it better to get a guy who has bankable stats like that? Or is it better to get guys who have upside, 
um, you know, and then you pick up the upside for free. You buy them at the price that they're supposed to perform them at and you get the upside for free. So, you know, Xander Bogarts is somebody that I pretty much is a guy I pretty much don't ever own because the upside isn't there and somebody pays full price for him. So I only own him if I can get a discount on him somehow. Wow, it's very interesting because my thought that in the third round, I'm not looking for upside. I'm looking for a very high floor. I'm looking for somebody who has consistency. And when I want to have upside, we're talking in the mid to later rounds, in the early to mid, to even the mid rounds, I don't need to get upside. I just need to get enough of a base floor so that when I have somebody who I pick up late or in the middle or somebody off of waiver wires who can put me over the top, that will get me there so long as I have enough of, of a stat base there. Um, I, I can't see Xander Bogarts dropping below, and I agree with your homers and uh, with your runs and RBIs. He's averaged over the last six years 95 runs and 90 RBIs. So um, I, I, I'm not sure what kind of upside you you what kind of upside do you require from the, from a third round player there that that makes you pass on Bogart. You want up? You want? I didn't I didn't say I was going to pass on him. Oh, okay, I said, okay. But I said like, and by the way, in a draft, um, when it comes around and he's the best player available, then yes, I'm taking him. Sure. But okay. um, for the most part, in an auction, what happens is he's not the guy I'm targeting. And like I told you, I target players and then go buy them, or we target players right, and go buy them. Right, sorry, right. sorry, Glenn. Um, so Bogarts probably isn't a target because who, the guys I'm targeting are guys who have upside. They're generally guys who are between the ages of 23 and 26, um, you know, and he's a, a bit older than that. 28. He, 20, he'll be 28. So he's right on the cusp there. But you can guarantee those numbers. I mean, you can lock those in. Um, and so there's some there's something to be said for that, too. Right. The security of having an anchor tenant depends on who your other players are. Right. So at that at that moment. But. You know, for me, I'm targeting upside with with you know every time I pick, every time I spend money, I'm I'm targeting upside. Does it work all the time? No. Sometimes I finish last, but I'd rather be last and first than than third and third. We'll go to Ruben in a second, but just to to point out another difference I have between you, because it's good to see different opinions. The fact that he is a stable player uh, makes me want to pay a dollar more for him. Uh, earlier, you said that you will only take him at a bargain. I actually my risk adjusted price when we're talking about uh, a risk. He is little risk, so I'd I'd be willing to pay even a dollar over his price to bank those stats. Very different viewpoints. Uh, Ruben, uh, your thoughts on Bogarts? Um, I actually think that he, there's going to be a little bit recency bias, and people think that he didn't have that great of a year. We look at his overall numbers; they weren't at the same level that he was at before. This first half of the season last year, which is the first 28 games, he had six home runs, 17 RBIs, 271 average, two stolen bases. The second half, he had five homers, 11 RBIs, six stolen bases, and a 327 average. Some people only may remember the beginning of the year, so you want to look for some upside. People may be. What, maybe thinking, oh, wait, what if he reverts back to what he did in the beginning of last year and not the second half of last year? And if they think that, then that's when you can jump in and possibly get him for a discount. I was going to say, just just don't don't get me wrong. I mean, there's only there's only probably three better players in the middle infield, uh, you know, than him. Um, but when you when you have a when you have a strategy where you're spending money in different areas and you're spending money on the upside of, you know, um, a Ronald Acuna or. You know, someone someone who's going to have bankable stats, but also have ups, upside, you know, uh, even even a Fernando Tatis Jr. or or a Trevor Story or or, or a Trey Turner. Um, 
you know, those those guys, I think, more valuable. Nobody else more valuable than that. And so if the spot comes and I'm looking and I'm looking for a middle infielder and and those guys are all gone, then, you know, then then Bogarts is rostered. Right. Seems like you'll more likely take him in a draft than an auction. I'm probably yeah. in, I'm probably in different. 100%. Right. All right. I'm indifferent right now to him. Uh, obviously, if the spot comes up, then you're going to grab him or not in the draft uh, auction. I might be tilting a little bit more towards him because I just think that uh, it's it sets a very good base and not a ridiculous price for a uh, for a third round type player in an auction. Let's talk about Dansby Swanson. He's somebody who bursted on the scene um, and he's he's been piling it up. His his homers have been increasing every year. He had some incredible halves. Last year he had 10 home runs, five stolen bases, 274 average. It, the his runs were on the pace of 132 runs as the Braves were starting to bat him first in an incredibly solid lineup with MVP Freddie Freeman is Swanson somebody that has upside for you that you'd be considering, Rick? Hundred percent. Right age. Got the eye was better last year. Um, you know, he started to started to take more walks. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that we were you know we were targeting. He we we play a lot of best balls. I don't know about you guys, but I draft a lot preseason so that I can. Uh, I find that it gives me study time. When when we're drafting, I have nothing else to do but look at look at information and stuff. So it sort of forces me to have, uh, have study time. And Swanson was going undrafted in a lot of these, uh, you know, last year and during the, during the pandemic. It was crazy to me. And so we would just pick him up in the last round or pick him up for a dollar at the very end. And uh, to me, that was just um, crazy. All the right things were there. All the, all the, the metrics looked right. And uh, he was a guy that everybody should have been targeting. And I think, I think the upside is there. You know, 30, 30 home run, 30 home run, 15 steals, 260 is not out of the question. You know, I can see why you go for upside if you're playing a lot of best balls because best ball is a format that you want to do that. And Xander Bogarts would not be a target of mine in the best ball format because you're looking for guys with extreme upside. Uh, so I, I, I see where that mentality comes in. Uh, Ruvain, before my thoughts, what, uh, what do you think of uh, the Brave shortstop? I think that one thing that was great about him last year was that he actually was healthy. He played every game last year, and that's something that he's been missing. He's always been dinged up, missed some time. That may play into why he didn't, quote-unquote, break out yet. He had a, The one thing, the two things that bother me a little bit is that he had a career high in BABIP last year. He was very lucky last year, so I'm a little nervous about that average. I don't think that average is 100% for real, but he was on pace for 23 homers and 12 stolen bases, which is the exact mix that you want from a middle infielder. Yeah, um, my only issue with him is the batting average, and if you look at his strikeout rate, uh, it is a little bit on the high side. It is not anywhere near um, what, what you want to be for, for a good average. Uh, I'm not going to say he's a batting average drain, but I wouldn't be surprised if he hits low 250s, which he's done uh, every single year uh, or lower other than this past year. But everything else is for real, um, and he's a positive – he's – above average of the player pool in every single statistic except for uh, the batting average. Um, so to me, I, I love him, and for all the reasons that everybody has said so far. Uh, his stat cast numbers are uh, increasing every year. It looks great. Listen, he was a top, top prospect, and sometimes it takes a few years for a prospect to go. And as Ruvain said, look at his injury history. That might explain some of the early non-success. And because he's been healthy, now you've seen it, this is definitely a guy that could break out even further. 
Um, let's go to Marcus Semyon, who ATC projects as another uh, bargain. Now, I should say that ATC, what you see online, is uh, pre the signing by the Blue Jays. Uh, it takes about seven to ten days for a bunch of the other projection systems to reassess Semyon. So uh, you won't get the true update of Semyon in terms of ATC for another week or so. But even for now, and I can't imagine it's going to get worse. Homers have to go up, right? If you're out of Oakland to Toronto, it's going to go up. Better lineup, you probably get more RBIs and, and so on and so forth. Um, what he's doing now is is pretty good. He was amazing in 2019. Little bit of a down year, and this is the potential rebound. Regression goes both ways. Um, do you think that Marcus Semyon is somebody that you might be targeting, Rick? Well, I had Simeon for a number of years in one of my keeper leagues. Actually, I lose him this this year. Um, I won't be able to keep him for the for a fourth year. But um, you know, he's going to be thirty, or maybe he turns thirty-one. I think it's late September, October. He turns thirty-one, um, and uh, and you know that age is a thing. But what a lineup! You know, uh, if it's Springer, Simeon, Bichette, and then either Guerrero or, or Hernandez, probably, and then Biggio and and uh, Guriel in whatever order you want them in, and then either Grichek or Telez, depending on who, you know, who's pitching, uh, you know, and then the catcher last. I mean, this is just, I mean, this is, you know, this is a monster lineup. So, uh, you know, I really think that, and he does all the little things. So I think he could really, uh, really do some damage, you know, probably a 340 OBP guy. Um, so he knows how to take his walks and you know, he could steal 12 to 15 bases because they'll probably run more, especially with a patient hitter like Bichette behind him. Uh, I just think I think a lot of things are good in place there. But the age thing is the thing that matters to me, bothers me the most. And I think that curbs the upside just a tiny bit for me. Right, no doubt, no doubt. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. His his walk rate is a solid 11%. Uh, strikeout rate is actually pretty good at 20%, which means that his batting average, I think, has upside. ATC has him at 254. I think he'll beat that. The Jays, they steal bases. Um, you're gonna they see, run. They run. You're going to see him steal um, the, the 11 stolen bases the ATC has. I think he can beat that, uh, and the runs and RBIs are, are there. Do you think it matters, Rick, whether he is batting second or batting sixth, seventh, depending upon what they do with Biggio versus him? Does that make a big difference to you? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, and the the only reason that you know, I mean, obviously he's going to lose some at bats, so it does. Yes, it does matter a little bit. But but I, in this lineup, I think any part of the lineup could be hot on any given night. Uh, you know, depending on who's who's throwing the younger hitters later in the lineup. There, Guerrero, Biggio. A Guriel, uh, you have a fastball pitcher. Those guys, that that part of the lineup is going to dominate. Telez crushes fastballs too, so righty fastball guys, they're going to have a tough time with that part of the lineup. You know, you have your more sophisticated pitchers. You know, they're going to have a tougher time with the with the more experienced Springer and and, and Simeon at the top of the lineup. So, I think it depends on who's pitching, which side of the lineup is going to dominate. But this this goes all the way. These are great play. These are great players all the way through the lineup. Right. Anything to add, Ruvain? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, Marcus Simeon, he's been known to have one good year, two okay years. One good year, two okay years. If you look at it, and his floor for the okay years is about 15 homers and 10 stolen bases, which is still pretty good. Um, now, he's moving to Toronto, which is a great thing. His home run to fly ball rate dropped last year, and his hard hit rate dropped um, a little bit, but he's, his 
launch angle went up, and he was unlucky last year. He had a career low in Babbitt last year. So his average will rebound a little bit, and in that lineup, getting out of Oakland, having a little bit more power, especially if they're, I don't know where they're going to play yet, but if they're going to play in Florida or they're playing in Buffalo, wherever they play, he's going to hit a lot more out. It's a lot less spacious than the Oakland Coliseum. There's a, a pair of players that are very have a very similar profile, sort of similar um, ADP. They're being picked in the NFBC right now within a round. That's Jorge Polanco of the Twins and Gene Segura of the Phillies. Polanco um, probably will be moved off of shortstop with the signing of Andrelton Simmons. So the question is, where is he going to play? They also have Luis Arias. Is somebody going to sit? I'm not sure. Gene Segura, he's probably penciled in for most of the stuff at second base. Um, do you have any thoughts on the two players, Rick? Do you prefer any one of them? Do you say whoever's cheaper? Uh, well, uh, you're more of the I want the player and go. Uh, uh, Polanco is still just 27, so maybe that fits in your mold. Yeah. Segura is, is older at 31. Is that the defining uh, uh, yeah. criteria for you? Not not the only defining cr- criteria, but remember, we eliminate players so that we can get to a, we can get to a smaller number that we can attack. Okay, I don't see enough upside with either player. And uh, and I also see some issues with each player playing time, especially. So you're not sure what what Polanco's role going to be. And and what if? Let me just throw this out there. What if what if Scott Kingery plays second base, and sure. uh, Baum plays third base? Gregarious is going to play shortstop, right? Hoskins first base. So what if what if Segura's kind of like the utility infielder because he can play second, short, and third? And what if he ends up playing three games a week or four games a week? uh instead of instead of six um so he could he his playing time could just get hit and if he does then there's a lot more upside at the bottom or even prospecting because remember you can you know if, if you take a shot at a prospect and he starts and he you know it doesn't work out in the first two weeks or three weeks and you see it's not you switch him out and you'll be able to find middle infielders uh on the waiver wire and you know or for fab i i have been in the past at least Right. My only counter to that to that is, uh, you know, DJ LeMay, who two years ago on the Yankees, they said, well, where is he going to play? He'll probably play only four or five games a week because uh, is he going to play short? He's going to play second. We don't know. But, of course, a high-skilled player usually wins out, and all it takes is one injury, and that's his playing time. So I, I caution that mentality totally, but I, I totally get it. Also, Gene Segura is older. Um, it's different if someone is younger to come fill in. Uh, he is on the older side, so I, I tend to agree. I, I w- I, I, I have all these weird expressions, okay? So one of them is hope is not a management strategy. So hoping for an injury isn't a management strategy. So that's not one that I would use. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I'll go with uh, trust, <laughs> skills, not roles, or, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, cool. But, uh, that's cool. <laughs> um, uh, Ruben, any thoughts between the two? Yeah, I'm a little nervous about Polanco. Um, his barrel rate, barrel rate drop, his hard hit rate drop, his home at the fly ball rate drop. So unless I'm getting a big discount on him, then I'm not buying him. Segura, kind of the opposite. He had the highest career barrels. His launch angle went up. His He had the highest home run to fly ball rate in his career last year. But people think Gene Segura, they think stolen bases. He's over 30. Once you pass 30, the speedsters tend to drop a little bit. You'll still get your stolen bases. And if he's not playing that much, listen, he may be the first guy off the bench as a pinch runner on the defensive replacement somewhere. If he is, then he'll get you more stolen bases than he will power. So I'm a little higher on, on Segura than I am Polanco, but I'm still cautious on both of them. 
Yeah, there's no question that both of these guys have warts, but there's also a lot of positives. Polanco has a 16% strikeout rate for his career. That means that he's going to have a fantastic batting average. He's not going to drop off. Uh, Gene Segura, even without his stolen bases, hasn't produced an auction value of less than $8, and he's being drafted for way lower than that now. Um, he has a career 14% strikeout rate, even better. Um, so there's, there's good points. Segura, I do worry about the stolen bases as he's older. Polanco, I worry some about the playing time as well. Um, I would say this, that um, if you are in the mood for upside play, uh, just as Rick said, these are not the guys you want in general. My feeling, though, is that they might be enough of a discount, maybe a three-round discount from where they're going in the ADP or an auction dollar equivalent of about a $4 discount, uh, so that if they are available a tad later even than the ADP, then they become very good bargains, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to pass yeah. up on the singles. I don't need. I don't feel like I need to hit a home run. If I hit seven singles with my players, I'm going to score just as many runs as a home run or two. So if I can get enough of a bargain, and it looks like it, they are on the cusp of getting that three, four, five round bargain, the five dollar uh, discount, they are going to be a good value for the price because there is enough elements that are stable in their profile to give you that. Um, they're they're not exactly five category players, but they're uh, have enough of a showing in each category to know that they won't drop to zero. They're uh, as ATC speak, their intra projection standard deviation are very low. There's there's not a lot of categorical risk between them. So they will produce a floor value, um, whether you think that uh, – if, if you are looking for upside at position, great. And, of course, it also depends if you're going through a draft if you already have a very a highly risk, a risk team. If you have a low-risk team already, do not take one of these guys. If you have a very high-risk team above and you're missing that middle infielder position at that time, they're probably good to get you a bankable – somewhat floor level of stats. That, that, that's how I would play them. It's not a like or not. It's how can you use these players, if that makes sense. You it's know. fair. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if you're going to get value, if you're going to bank some, you have to, some set subset of the roster spots have to have bankable stats in them. Ones that, you know, that you can, you can say, all right, these are the stats I'm going to get from them from this particular roster spot. And so if you're getting a bargain on somebody that you know is going to get stats, when you know the upside, the, the the huge upside player who's, you know, who you could grab who's going to get zeros, you know, and you want to bank those stats because you don't have enough, you don't have enough security in your roster, then you then that's a great, those are great opportunities. Exactly. So uh, let's talk about Chris Taylor of the Dodgers. We have to. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? Uh, well, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm six. I'm six. I'm six. Well, well tell t- tell me, uh, it, it, what's your what's your issue with Chris Taylor? <laughs> no, I'm just you know th- these are the you know we're getting to the some of the kind of players that w- that would never be on my target list. Okay. You know um, because at 30 years old, even though he could have 20 homers and five steals, you know he's not going to have enough counting numbers for me to prefer him versus somebody who. Uh, you know, is a newer guy who's who's got a lot more upside. Okay. Um, or, okay. or when I analyze the player pool, say, all right, I'm going to pay up then to make sure I don't end up with a Chris Taylor. You prefer you know? Gavin Lux for this coming year? Uh, no, that's not what I said at all. No, I'm just asking because so, I I was trying to get I to think a board. They're pretty bet. similar though. Okay. Because I, I, mean, I, I think they're. Uh, 
I, I see what you're doing. I was yeah, I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna board bet you here, Chris Taylor versus Gavin Lux. If you want to take that, I'll take the Taylor side. Oh well, uh, <laughs> no. Okay. No, okay. but how about how about if you want to board bet it in the middle infield? How about um, McMahon versus Garrett Hampson? I don't want either. <laughs> I don't want either I, of those. I'm t- I'm telling you that I want I I want Garrett Hampson for a dollar at the end of at the end of my dress because or two dollars because these if they cut him loose and he wins the job which McMahon has proved he can't win um then you know he he could you know he could have that 40 stolen base season and you could get that for two dollars and that could change your all your that could change your team completely if not you cut him and you pick somebody else up what about position what about position eligibility? That doesn't play into it either because Chris Taylor can play second, short, outfield. These guys at the end, they can play everywhere and they can fill in spots when people get injured. Actually, um Taylor's only uh depending on what league you play, if you play normal league, league rules, fifteen games, he's not gonna qualify at anything but short still shortstop and outfield. You have to play modified rules to ten or five. Yeah. Okay, okay, then let's talk about a guy like Joey Wendell. He played twenty 20 games at second, he played mm-hmm. 28 games at third, he played 10 at short. So hypothetically, he can be eligible almost anywhere also. He's lower down on the list. He was on pace for 10 homers and 20 stolen bases last year. You, you have an issue uh, picking him up. Does he? I mean, he's over 30. You yeah. have an issue picking up? How many RBIs is going to have? 40? Yeah. Maybe 50? ATC shows 44. 44. But he, he's a guy you can have on your bench. He's a guy. He's the last guy. He's the guy to sub the boot in when someone gets hurt. That That's all. That's, that's these guys are here. I mean, if, if these guys are your main middle infielders, then you have a real issue with your team. Yeah. I'm taking Hampson. I'm taking Hampson, a shot at Hampson over Wendell because, by the way, Wendell's replace, you know, value over replacement is almost zero because I'm going to find somebody, I have somebody Wendell, on the waiver wire. I have met minus $3.6 auction value for Wendell, uh, 44 RPIs. So I'm going to pass. Uh, I do want to point out about Wendell, though, and a couple of other people. Um, Wendell, I have Isaiah Kiner-Falafa, Nico Goodrum, J.P. Crawford, just to rattle off a couple of guys that are below replacement level, meaning I would not draft them, but they will either be available for the bench or um, more likely on the waiver wire. And those are just a couple of names to know who can turn in, we're talking about 15 steals. They don't give you much else, but a lot of times you're looking on the waiver wire for a fill-in, and you need a fill-in for a certain category. So it's important to know the player pool. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, middle infield we know is the source of, or at least uh, we talked about it, is the source of some stolen bases. So just good to know a couple of names, not 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 to draft or anything. I uh, you know there's, there's very little upside, but during the year, especially if they have a good, uh, a good schedule, they're playing at a good ballpark or against a crappy pitcher. Just a couple of guys to know to pick up for the week or two to fill in to know about the stolen bases. I like Goodrum. I, you know, I, I'm I'm okay with him. I know he's 29 years old, but or maybe he's going to be 30 this season. But um, uh, you know, I mean, he does have some pop in his bat. Yeah, he could have he could have 15 homers and 15 steals. Uh, he's going to bat 240. Yep. Um, but he's you know, he's a – to me, he's a player who hasn't been worn out yet, like a guy who can – who they can – who. so it's, he's a young 29. Um, uh, Kiner Falafa, I don't know where he's going to qualify. That depends on how many games again. If it's 15 games, it's only third base. I think if it's 10 games, I think he gets the, the qualification that everybody wants. Um, 
and uh, and JP Crawford is just a he he's somebody I think that you can you can take a shot at better up, upside instead of instead of him. Plus I don't I don't really know what that Seattle lineup is really going to um you know going to look like yet. So yeah. Um, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, between the four, I, I actually agree with your pecking order. I think uh, Goodrum is probably the best shot at something, uh, but J.P. Crawford is uh, is rosterable. J.P. Crawford, what he's going to give you is he's going to give you at-bats. Um, he's going to play shortstop for them. Uh, at least that is the plan right now. So um, from the start, if I would had to draft somebody of the four, I would pick Crawford. During the season, from a waiver wire standpoint, it might be Goodrum to fill in because he'll also give you some of that, uh, some of that power as well to go along with it, where some of these other guys wouldn't. Uh, Connor Falafa um, was a, a good value last year, but that of course was only because he qualified at catcher. He's I'm not going to say useless now, but he's uh, his value is far lower. Um, he's not as helpful to you anymore. Uh, got a couple of questions from the mailbag, which we'll end with. Uh, Brian asks, in the early stages of a draft, when you're evaluating a pick and it's really close between a middle infielder and a corner infielder, do you lean towards a certain position for 2021? What say you, Rick? And, uh, you know, I would be completely lying if I said that I had the player pool completely figured out. Uh, first, but you do have to analyze the player pool in order to figure out where where you're lacking. Sometimes it's first base, third base, whichever is the most scarce position is the one you're going to want to go after. And it's clear to me it's not shortstop. Um, so to me, if it's really close between a shortstop and a first baseman or a third baseman, then I'm taking the first baseman or third baseman. If it's a second baseman, I'm probably taking the second baseman. Ruvain? Up top, I'm probably going to be taking a if this if one of the top second basements are there, I guess you have to because the drop off is pretty steep. Shortstops, I'd wait, but I I I usually mean you both mean you Ariel. We tend to go corner and field, corner and field, corner and field very early, and we tend to go middle and field late. Um, yeah, I'm the real answer is that it doesn't really matter. Um, because if you're doing your pricing correct, um, you're really evaluating. It doesn't matter what the posi- what the positions are. You should be accounting for any scarcity, if there is any, within your valuations. Um, I will say though that for drafts, especially, it's not just about who's available there. It's what the replacement is. Meaning, if what I do is I plan some. I work backwards. I take a look and. Who am I going to be getting later in the draft, in the 20th through 25th rounds? Who am I getting in the 15th through 20th rounds? And if you see that there's a large number of first basemen later in the draft that you think might be interesting, and there's fewer second basemen, well, that tells you what you need to do, right? It's it's the plan that you have for later. It's the, it's the foreseeing what you might do later on and what the player pool looks like really tells you what to do up top. I think that's pretty much similar to what you said, Rick, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, you're looking, you're looking at, uh, and in my case, I'm looking at, I'm looking for bigger upside. So, but you know, still, it's the same. It's the same kind of idea because you have a value, but my value includes includes the upside. Right. So you have some risk adjusted value or so. Um, I would just caution yeah, though. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I would I would caution though that um, just also depends on it not just depends on the position but it depends on the stats. If that player up top is going to have a lot of is not going to have stolen bases, um, you don't want to be taking a middle infielder at that spot. You want you want a middle infielder to have some steals with you. So I would take the corner to leave room for a potential middle infielder later. So it's it's also balanced between the stats. Similar question from Alex, but he asked about later in the draft when drafting your third middle infielder, meaning you've already had 
have a second baseman and a shortstop. Are you still bumping up second baseman at this point in the draft? For example, would you take Starlin Castro because he is a second base eligible player, even if there is a slightly better shortstop on the board? Similar answer, Rick? No, I mean, I'm taking the better player at the end of the draft, no matter what. So if I'm filling in, when I'm filling in middle and corner, I'm not, I'm not trying to figure out whether or not, uh, you know, one of the players that I have is weaker at one position than the other. I'm taking the best player available and, and um, relying on the fact that I got it right before. Yeah. Again, I have all my values baked in so that I'm indifferent between players. Um, If a shortstop is better than a second baseman or vice versa, it's because I've already adjusted any scarcity in there. Um, Then there's no question, right? You you, want to adjust values first. It's fair. Right. Um, and uh, by the way, just to give you a couple of uh, a couple of metrics in terms of uh, um, re- replacement level, um, I'm looking at some of the uh, Z scores at the very bottom, the one dollar players that you would get at the bottom. The middle infield position is at a Z score of minus two point six, according to the player pool. Right. It's a negative thing. So all what I would do in calculating my values is all middle infielders get a two point six uh, bump. Third base down to three point, minus 3.3, which is similar to first base. Um, outfield, minus 3.57. Outfielder is more scarce than all the other positions, right? If, if, if you need to bump up, you're going to be bumping up outfielders more because you're taking five outfielders. Catcher, of course, far lower. Catcher, we're talking about in the high sixes, so it gets a tremendous bump more than anybody. Uh, so this is very different than the player pool from 10 years ago where you would see second base shortstop probably with the lowest one, uh, and first base with something that you don't have to bump. Very different how it's changed. You just have to recognize that that's what the player pool is, that replacement value, no, it's, it's first base. And maybe, Ruvain, that's why you and I tend to take the first baseman, third baseman a little bit more because we're adjusting values here much more for first and third than second base short, much more than the market. That, that's probably why. Do you think that's, that could be the case? I, I agree, but I also think that toward the end of the uh, toward the end game of most drafts and most auctions, we are short the middle infielder for some reason. It always works out that way. We're always looking for the guy with the most steals because we usually find out that our team is lacking in steals. So that I, I think that what we normally do is we target, we look for the middle infielder with the most amount of steal potential, whether they're good or not, and when and it's a matter of whether we think they'll have playing time. If they're playing time, we see is there, and we think they're going to steal, usually we go for that middle infielder late in the draft. Yeah, it's always okay, by the way, to have $1 players. If if your second baseman is a $1 player, that that's fine. You know, It just means that you have some more value elsewhere. It's probably better to be a little bit more rounded, well-rounded, but uh, you know, injuries happen. You're going to be replacing people at any position. So um, you know, I wouldn't worry so much about which position you're getting something for. I'd worry more about the plan as to where you can plan your most values. Uh, Ruvain, quick injury update for this week. Go for it. Okay, I got three players, and I have a trivia question following the three players. First, I have Gio Rochella. He is expected to be ready for opening day. It was announced he had elbow surgery in December, and all systems are go for him. JT Realmuto was dealing with a hip flexor strain at the end of last year. He said he feels 100%. He should be good to go for spring training. And Kirby Yates, the closer for, or the potential closer for the Blue Jays, completed his rehab process and has already thrown a series of bullpens. He had surgery in August 2020 after some bone chips were discovered in his right elbow. Now, the trivia question 
question that I have. Um, we were mentioning middle infield and we we're mentioning stolen bases a lot. The middle infielder who may be moving out of the middle infield to the corner infield and gives a possibility for stolen bases at a corner infield spot is Keston Hira. He may be moving to second base because of the recent signings by the, by the Brewers. Can you name, in the last five years, can you name eight first basemen who had more than 10 stolen bases in the last five years? Can you name them? Can I name all eight? There's no possible way I could do this on the spot. But um, you know, Gold, Goldschmidt comes to uh, to mind Have immediately. To That's one. That's um, one. Votto comes to mind. He had twelve. Not five uh, years ago. That was longer. Longer than that ago. Uh, Rizzo. Rizzo is one. Um, uh, Bellinger. Bellinger is one. Well done. Freddie Freeman. He steals some. Freddie Freeman is one. Our good friend Will Myers is one. Um, Danny Santana did it in 2019. Right. He was eligible at first base. Okay, Marwin Gonzalez did it back in 2016. Oh, okay. And another former Brewer who had multiple position eligibility everywhere, who was not drafted anywhere, Hernan Perez. He did it twice and he was eligible at first base. So those guys at the end, at the middle infield, you may not want them, but they may have some value in them. Right. Most of those that on that list though are are a combo. Your middle in they have second base eligibility too, or or Myers probably third base eligibility as well. But yeah, you're right. There are very few true first basemen in that in that list, which is uh I guess all the more reason that you really do need some speed. Some speed. You don't have to get all your speed from middle infield, but there should be at least one slot and Reuven and I usually do it that when we list our slots, we're talking we need a second baseman or a middle infielder, we'll often write middle infield slash speed. Because that's something we're always looking for. Um, any last comments about the middle infield player pool, Rick? Uh, anything that you've observed or uh, tidbits, jokes, uh, whatever? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> on my way to uh, no. Um, I, I'll say you said it pretty good right now. I mean, uh, stolen bases are in the DNA of every fantasy player, so you got to pay attention to those. And uh, you know, if you pick them up from the middle infield, great. If you're not getting them from the middle infield, make sure you get a 30 home run guy. Don't make, don't not get stolen bases for a guy who has gets counting numbers. Well, this has been a fantastic show, Rick. Really want to thank you for coming on. And uh, you can always listen to him with his partner, Glenn Colton, on Sirius XM Radio, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, I think. Uh, I, yep. I know because uh, I play tennis on Tuesday nights, and uh, when I get out of tennis, driving home, it's uh, Colton the Wolfman for me. Uh, and you always do a good job entertaining and information. You get fantastic guests on all the time. So I enjoy that. And thank you for doing this. For ha How many years has this been now? Uh, I have been doing Colton and the Wolfman. We have been doing it for nine years. Uh, it was uh, season nine, episode 43 this past week. Can you tell us uh, where we can – other uh, everyone listening can uh, he hear you more, read your stuff, um, follow you on Twitter? Yeah, well, I, I don't write anymore. Um, I don't write very often, at least, uh, because we have an amazing crew at FantasyAlarm.com, uh, led by the great Howard Bender. Um, we're just a fantastic team. I call them the family, the F-A-M-I-L-Y. So um, we do have a great, great group there. So it's not necessary for me to write anymore. I write one piece a year for the draft guide uh, in each baseball and football. I write a piece about um, project, project, you know, knowing your projections and figuring out what your targets are for each different type of league and uh and for football of course i write the smart football column because i'm way more fantasy football than baseball if you believe it or not so and you can find me at rick wolf one or uh 
Um, I'm readily available for access for anybody who has business issues or things in fantasy because I really enjoy helping people build their businesses in fantasy much more than I do uh, analyzing or broadcasting. Awesome stuff. Fuve, now tell us about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates during the course of the offseason and during the course of the season. I also have a weekly article during season on Rotobowler updating injuries. And actually, my first article will be coming out in the next couple of days. Very cool. Uh, you can read my work over at Fangraphs at CBS Sports Line. I'm there. Uh, I know you were there before. I'm, I'm there now. Um, and at Rotobowler as well. The ATC projections are now on a bunch of sites. They're on Fangraphs. They're on Sports Line. They're on Rotobowler. They're on RotoChamp. Uh, you can get them anywhere. Um, right now on Sports Line, the, all the ATC volatility metrics are up. They should be coming to Fangraphs really soon. And uh, I'll be dropping a nice article about what they are, what they mean, how you can use them, and why incorporating risk into your pricing. It might be interesting. Uh, you'll see some correlation between more risk means less value. Um, that's what we thought, and uh, it is true for some players, um, and you'll find that out soon. Uh, anyways, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on the show. From all of us here at Beat the Shift, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.